Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. Go law enforcement. The podcast that makes your law enforcement dreams happen. Welcome to the Go Law Enforcement podcast, brought to you by GoLawEnforcement.com. I'm your host, Joe Lebowski. Passing the police exam is a vital step towards becoming a law enforcement officer. GoLawEnforcement.com can help you pass the police exam and get a score that will get you hired. Check out GoLawEnforcement.com. Ryan Luke is a police lieutenant in Arizona. Lieutenant Luke says that for anyone going into law enforcement, it is important to know that your life is going to change, for better or for worse. You're going to do a lot of good out there, but some bad things are going to happen to you or people around you. In this episode of the Go Law Enforcement podcast, Lieutenant Luke talks about his best friend who died in the line of duty. But on a lighter side, the lieutenant shares a story about the strangest police standoff you've ever heard of. My name is Ryan Luke, and I am a lieutenant with a large police department in Arizona. So what really interested me about getting into law enforcement as a career, I, I loved the military, and I wanted to get into the military. And I went so far as all through high school, I did, um, did ride-alongs with the police department as well, um, but I was still set on military. So when I was 17 years old, I was in an Army recruiting office. My mom came with me because you can't sign up unless you're 18. And I remember I, I was in between military or law enforcement. And my mom begged me not to go into the military, as you can imagine mothers would be. So I declined to join the Army at that time. And I decided to go back to school and get my associate's degree in administration of justice uh, and then pursued a career in law enforcement. So the hiring process, I was very young and naive when I first started and, and to got into the process. I'd only worked one job my entire life. It was uh, at a restaurant. I worked there for five years and I was 20 years old when I applied for the police department. And in Arizona here, you have to be 21 years old by the time you graduate the academy. So as soon as I was eligible, I applied. And the way we applied here in Arizona is the city that I work for put out a bunch of different testing dates. And they said, show up here at the academy on this date and this time if you want to compete for this process. So I showed up, uh, and what they did is they gave us a written test. So it was a three-hour test. And I remember I was so nervous uh, before I took that test. I slept maybe three hours the night before. And I know you're supposed to get a good night's sleep, eat a good breakfast, but I was so nervous and excited at the same time um, that I, I really didn't sleep. So. I took the process. We took the test. It was extremely long on no sleep. And I remember the, the thing I did the worst on was the part of the test where it's a memorization. Like you look at a picture and you look at it for, I don't know, it might be two minutes. And then they ask you questions about what did you see in that picture? Uh, and I remember to this day, I have no idea. It was, one of the questions was like, what time was it on the clock? And in my head, I'm like, I didn't even see a clock for goodness sake. So I was hoping my my guessing was, was going to help and win out on that. So the test involved a bunch of different things as far as uh, some reading comprehension, some basic math and arithmetic. It didn't have anything about like codes. You didn't have to know a revised statute code for what is an assault, things like that. So you, you could have gone in there 
blind without having any idea anything about law enforcement and still been able to do pretty good as long as you had a general understanding and knowledge of like GED or high school level education. So after that process, they gave us the grades right away. And you had to score, I believe it was a 70% or above. Uh, and I was well over that. So immediately after the test, we had our physical um, test. And our physical, now forgive me, I've been with in law firms for 16 years. So I'm going to try to remember what it was like 16 years ago. But I remember the first thing was a mile and a half run. And we had to do that in, uh, depended on your age and gender. Um, but I, I think I had to do it in less than 13 minutes. So a mile and a half and in 13 minutes, if you've been training for any amount of time, is not super difficult. After that, then we had to do sit-ups. You had to do like 36 sit-ups in a minute. Um, and if you failed any of these, you kept going, but they total well, the mile and a half was necessary. If you couldn't do it in that time, they kicked you out. But as far as all the others go, like they kept scores. If you could do certain things or if you did better at one section than the other, you could outweigh some of the bad things that you did. For instance, like in mine, you had to be able to bench your body weight. Um, they don't do that anymore for my agency. Now they do more push-ups um, than doing a bench. But that was it at the time. And finally, we had to jump over a six-foot wall. Uh, and and that's, the, that's really the one where most people struggle is getting over that wall. Because most people, unless you've uh, <clears throat> done any kind of crime in your life, you're not used to running and jumping over walls pretty quickly. So that is, uh, that's where most people struggle. But I was able to get over that. After I got through the process, they gave me a background packet. And it was this huge stack of papers and said, hey, complete this and bring it back to the police department. So this background packet was incredibly detailed. Like, luckily for me, I'd only been alive for 20 years, so I didn't have a whole lot of history in my life, but they wanted to know the last, like, five addresses you had lived at. You had to get, like, two references. You had to go talk to your employer and get a letter of recommendation. And I remember throwing myself down here, but I remember when I was 16 or 17 years old, in the back of my restaurant, they had a stop sign that had been hit in the parking lot. So they threw it back there. So as a young kid, I'm like, hey, I'm going to take this stop sign home and put it in my wall. Well, at that point, they had to say, have you ever stolen from your employer? And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I did like four years ago. So I had to disclose that in this background packet. Uh, and then they made me actually go tell my employer before I was hired by the police department that, hey, I had done this. And can you guys write a letter saying you're not going to fire me and you're OK with this? So luckily, my employer liked me and uh, they were able to do that. But they uncovered everything and anything that I had even forgotten about in this background packet. So as far as the different levels and working my way up through the police departments to the role of lieutenant that I am now is my agency is a very large agency. So it, you can pretty much do whatever you want. There's a niche for just about anything. So when I first came on the departments, um, I was a brand new officer, obviously. Uh, and then I really enjoyed the leadership aspect and the teaching. So after about two years, and I know a lot of the seasoned officers listening to this are going to grimace when I say this, but about two years, I became a field training officer, which means I was training new people out of the academy, which has its pros and cons. Because on one hand, it's like, what does a two-year officer know about the streets? 
But on the flip side, it's like, well, a two-year officer knows a lot about operations orders and the correct way to do things. So it's good and bad. I did not have the experience of a seasoned veteran officer, but I knew policy in and out. So I started training new officers. I trained about nine of them. And uh, all of I think all of them are still on the department, except for one. So that's a bit of a success story for me. But after that, I, I really enjoyed the undercover world. We have a drug enforcement bureau, and I really wanted to get into that. So I did a lot of shadows, which means going to that detail and seeing how they do things. And I ended up not going there, but I joined a neighborhood enforcement team, which is similar to that. So on a neighborhood enforcement team, our main job was to find problems in a neighborhood or take complaints from people in the neighborhood and address them. And most of the time, it's drug complaints, it's people causing problems, stealing from their neighbors, etc. So I had an opportunity to do some undercover drug buys, um, which was really exciting, a big rush for me. My career has really taken a path of its own. I've never anticipated where I was going to take a next step. It always just moved on its own. So opportunities will arise. And in law enforcement, you can either take them or you can pass them by. And I've always found the biggest, the best success is taking opportunities when they arise. I've never regretted a move I've made. I've always learned something. So after being on a net team, which was so far my favorite position, I tested and became uh, a detective in our child crimes unit. So child crimes investigates all kinds of child abuse, sexual, physical, et cetera, the most heinous crimes to innocent victims you can have. And I did that for about a year and a half before I had kids, because I don't know that I could have done that. And then after I was a child crime detective for a while, I decided, hey, I want to promote to sergeant. And it was kind of funny. The, the, my primary focus for wanting to promote was I saw a lot of people promoting around me that were not in my opinion, very intelligent. So I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. So I promoted to sergeant. Then um, some people recruited me for our internal affairs position, which uh, is in my agency called the Professional Standards Bureau. And I did that for a while, a couple of years. And then I promoted to lieutenant from there, went back to the field as a patrol lieutenant, did that for about a year and a half, and then got into detectives again, where I oversaw our property crimes unit as a lieutenant. And so I've, as a lieutenant now, I've overseen detectives in our property crimes that investigate burglaries. I oversee our financial crimes detectives that do embezzlements, fraud, identity theft, et cetera, our auto theft detectives and my court and court liaison. And then another opportunity presented itself, and I'm going to be transferring again back to our professional standards bureau um, next week. I would caution anyone getting into law enforcement to really understand what you're getting into and know that your life is going to change for for better or for worse. Um, you're you're going to do a lot of good out there, but some bad things may happen to you or others around you. And that's not something to be afraid of, but it's it's the harsh reality of this profession. So when I came on the department after my second year, I met a guy named Dave Glasser, and he was my partner. We worked on third shift together and I've, I've known him for 14 years at the time. Um, and we were best friends. So we go to Cardinals games. He lived down the road for me. Our kids went to the same preschool. It, it was great. It, 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 it was the perfect friendship to have. So 
in 2016 is when this happened. I was a sergeant in the professional standards bureau at the time, and Dave was still on a neighborhood enforcement team that we were on together. And he responded to a call of a burglary in progress. And he responded and he was riding with another partner at the time. And the call was a, a dad had called about his drugged out son was inside the house and he wanted his son out. His son has been high on meth. He needed him out of the house. He just caused nothing but problems. He doesn't live there anymore. So they set up a plan to go block in the vehicle that the son had driven there so he couldn't escape because he had been involved in a crime of burglarizing his parents' house. Uh, and the other officers down the road were going to block off traffic so they could work on getting him out of the house. So as soon as Dave, my partner, was the driver, he pulls up behind the suspect's vehicle. And as soon as he does, he opens the driver's door. And the suspect, unbeknownst to anyone on the scene, was inside the vehicle. And he immediately started shooting out the back window of the van towards the officers. And my buddy Dave got shot in the left leg near his femur or into his femur and also got shot in the back of the head. Uh, and he pretty much died right there instantly. So I we hear the all call go out of an officer's been injured. I find out it's Dave. I'm sitting in my office uh, and I had to call my wife and say, hey, his kids are still at home with the wife, like you need to go tell the wife because it, it with social media nowadays, things get around so quickly and you don't want a next of kin or a wife or a loved one to find out through social media. So I told my wife, drive over to her house. You've got to stand by. So she did. My wife stayed with his wife um, and she knew something was up. I told my wife, don't tell her what's going on. Say something happened to Dave, but you don't know the details. We actually flew our police helicopter out there because Dave was still alive, kind of, right? He was being kept artificially alive at the hospital. So our helicopter drove, or flew the wife over to the hospital, um, and we ended up having to pull the plug shortly thereafter. So that was a terrible time in my life. Uh, and I, and I, we, we all know the risks that, that are involved in this job, but until it actually hits home, um, it, it, you don't fully recognize the gravity of it. And it wasn't so bad that I lost my best friend, but I remember the hardest part about the incident was telling my kids. So my kids grew up with his kids and having to look my kids in the eye and say, so-and-so's dad died and went to heaven today. You know, just having to tell my kids and them seeing the reality of, wow, daddy's job is dangerous. It was very difficult for me. But again, I don't say that out of fear um, because I still would do this all over again. And I know Dave would as well. It's just, we know what we sign up for. We're there to serve and protect others and put our lives on the line. Um, and when we're called home, we're called home. We get a call. I'm on patrol at the time. We get a call of a guy who tried to slash his girlfriend's throat with a sword. So we show up and the girlfriend says, yeah, my boyfriend, he does renaissance reenactments. He's got this like battle-ready, sharp sword. He thought I was cheating with somebody else. So he comes up behind me, takes his sword, and pretty much you can imagine someone slicing across someone's neck like they're going to try to cut their neck open. She describes that. Luckily, she had put her hands up and pushed the blade away so it didn't cut her neck, but it cut her fingers very badly to the, to all the way down to the bone, like in by the knuckles. So 
she's scared and says he's in the backyard. So we're like, okay, hey, we're going to put an officer with you, keep you safe, get you out of here. We're going to get you some medical, medical attention, et cetera. Where there's two officers that go out back first and they find this guy in the backyard. And you can imagine, imagine like the, the comic book guy from the Simpsons, if you're familiar, the guy with the ponytail, overweight, this guy is in the backyard. He's got a shield and he's got a sword. And he looks like he's ready for battle, like to knights and dragons. And you can imagine. So he actually point levels the sword down at the officer says, I'm going to kill you and starts coming at the officer. So I'm not, uh, I'm not in the backyard at this time. The officer is forced to fire his weapon at this guy, but the guy blocks the 40 caliber bullet with his shield. I kid you not. So the, the officer puts out over the air. He's like, Hey, officer involved in the shooting, which our code is nine, nine, eight. Says nine nine eight. Uh, the suspect blocked the bullet with the shield, and you can you can imagine the entire precinct that's not there is like, are you kidding me? Someone blocked a bullet with a shield. So we all show up, and uh, this guy he's legitimately got a shield. Uh, it looks like a homemade shield, and he's pacing back and forth. Luckily, when the officer fired the weapon, the guy decided, oh, that's not a good idea. I'm going to back up. So now we have like a semi circle of a firing squad because we don't know what this guy can do but we're still trying to talk him down we're like hey put the sword down put the shield down because we don't want to hurt him if we don't have to I, i would much rather have a peaceful resolution so this guy says he's not putting the sword down or the shield and he points at one of the the people in the front and says i'm going to kill you and he does the same thing he does to the officer so our sergeant at the time says we, you know, we cannot allow him to come towards the officer. So we have guys out there with shotguns, pistols, and we have these things called stun bags in Arizona. And what they are are shotguns that shoot. It's like a sock with uh, like uh, lead bullets inside of it, but it's non-lethal. It's just like getting hit with a heavy sock and it hurts like you wouldn't believe. So it's a pain compliance type thing. So the guy, we, so the sergeant calls up the guys with all these stun bags and says, hey, you know, on the count of three, we're going to unleash a volley of stun bags at this guy. So the guy knows it's coming. So he ducks down, hides behind his shield on his knee, as you can imagine, is perfect for the movies. And we unleash this volley of stun bags at him. Luckily, uh, a few of them hit him in the shoulder. And we actually, or he, not really us, he, it ends up causing his shoulder to become dislocated which at that point he realizes, okay, this isn't fun anymore. And he agrees to give up and be taken into custody without incident. So we later find out his shield was made out of a stop sign, which is kind of funny. It full circles back to the, the stop sign I had as a kid, but he had fashioned it and molded it out of stop sign. And apparently they stop sign stop bullets. As far as hobbies and interests and things that I do when I'm not on duty, they have morphed and changed over the years. So in law enforcement, you have to find something to appease your time or to get your mind off work on your days off, uh, other than drinking, which a lot of guys do, unfortunately. So throughout the years, I was into video games, playing Call of Duty, things like that. Um, But as I got older and more mature, uh, I really got into finance. And that sounds super nerdy. And before everyone turns off their their volume, uh, I promise it'll be short. My wife and I have always been good with money, and we were actually able to pay off both our cars. We're set to pay off our mortgage this year. Um, I'm only in my 30s, so I've had a lot of success with money, um, and my wife has always stayed home with the kids. So you could say, yeah, you're a lieutenant, you make a lot of money, but it really comes down to the way I budgeted as an officer. So 
Without boring everyone to death, I created a website called arrestyourdebt.com, and it's something that I put together to help law enforcement and first responders manage their money so they don't have to retire and live broke their whole lives. And the only piece of advice I would say to some of the young people out there or even older people out there listening that are thinking about a job in law enforcement, when you get hired, make sure to take full advantage of your retirement plan. Your 457 Bravo, if you have it accessible at your your work, make sure you invest and put money away. Don't live paycheck to paycheck like everybody else and avoid working off duty till you die. That's all. That's my only advice. Budget, save for retirement, and don't make off duty your hobby because you're going to die too young and life's way too short not to enjoy it. The advice I would give to anyone thinking about a career in law enforcement is do not blindly show up and take the test. Not because you might not do well, but because you don't want to waste all this time and effort into this career if you're not going to enjoy it. So what do I mean by that? Check with your local agency wherever you live, your sheriff's department, your police department, your state agency, and ask them about doing a ride-along. I highly suggest ride-alongs. And if the city you live in doesn't allow them, check with the neighboring city. Check around. Look for someone that allow ride-alongs. Because you might go on a ride-along and think, this is not for me. This does not sound fun going into this house infested with bed bugs. You know what I mean? Like, there's things that are not always as cool as you see on cops. Or you could be like me. And when I did ride-alongs, I remember my first ride-alongs with the sheriff's department. And it was on third shift in the middle of the night. And I think we went on maybe two calls. It was the most boring night in the world now when I look back. When I was 19 years old on that ride-along, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and I had a blast. I'm like, I am sitting in a police car. This is so fun. And I remember the sheriff's uh, deputy apologized how boring it was, and I had the time of my life. I didn't know what he was talking about. So you'll know if you do some ride-alongs whether, you know what, this is what I want, or "Eh, maybe I need to rethink. Passing the police exam is a vital step towards becoming a law enforcement officer. GoLawEnforcement.com can help you pass the police exam and get a score that will get you hired. Check out GoLawEnforcement.com. Thanks for listening.